Good morning. Hey, uh, turn with me in your Bibles, guys, to the book of Proverbs as we continue on in our uh, summer series called Get Smart as we take a look at uh, several topics within the book of the Proverbs. And so uh, as you're turning to the book of Proverbs, it's pretty well right in the middle of your Bible after Psalms, uh, you'll find the book of Proverbs. Uh, If you are in our Pew Bible, uh, we're on page 529, uh, Proverbs 22 is where we're going to begin this morning. And so as you're turning there uh, to the book of Proverbs, uh, I want to give us a quick reminder as to where we've been. Uh, We have, this is part three of Get Smart. Smart. Uh, Herb started off our series with an introduction to the book of Proverbs and shared with us the background and the purpose and that the book of Proverbs is really all about teaching us a skill uh, for godly life. That is, it's, it's, it, it instructs us how to live in a skilled way and in a godly way. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. He talked a little bit about the fear of the Lord and how the fear of the Lord undergirds all of the rest of the practical instruction that we get from the book of Proverbs. And then last week we looked at the subject of alcohol in the book of Proverbs. Uh, this morning, we turn to a a different subject, and that subject is called friendship. And so part three uh, of Get Smart is all about what the book of Proverbs has to teach us about this all-encompassing, far-reaching issue, subject of our friends. And so hopefully you find yourself uh, there with me in the book of Proverbs, and we'll start in Proverbs 22 uh, is where we're going to begin. So let's pray one more time, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for uh, this time together. It's a joy and a privilege to be here. And Father, we anxiously want to know uh, what your word says on uh, such a practical issue as, as the friendships that we have in our, in our lives. As all of us have uh, friends, and some of us have many, and some of us have few, but we all have people and relationships in our lives uh, that we consider friends. And we want to know how to, how to be skilled at the art of friendship according to your word. And so, Holy Spirit, come teach us, uh, enable me and empower me, guard me, protect my lips, that I might speak that which is true and not false. And I pray for our hearers as they hear your word, uh, that they would be uh, convicted if they need to be, that they would be encouraged if they need to be, that you would speak through your word directly to them and into their relational world of their friends. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin with a story of two men, and uh, they were uh, up north uh, in the uh, Canadian land, and they were bear hunters. And so as the story goes, they were hunting uh, bears, and they were there together, and they spotted a a rather large grizzly bear, and it was a little closer than what they originally uh, thought. And so they watched the bear. Uh, They knew not to run from the bear, and uh, the bear started to get increasingly closer to them, and they became a little nervous. And so uh, one of the friends noticed the other friend was doing something, and he, and he looked over at the friend, and he noticed that he was taking his boots off, and he said, friend, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you taking your boots off? This grizzly bear is, a, is approaching us, and, and he uh, looked up and, and monitored the bear as it con- crept ever, ever closer, and the, fr- the friend continued to take his boots off, and he noticed that he was then putting on his more comfortable uh, tennis shoes or running shoes, and, and, and the friend said, what is it that you're doing? There's no way that you can outrun a, a grizzly bear. If this bear attacks us, and we're not prepared, uh, running is not going to do you any good. And the man slipped on his second shoe and said, well, I don't have to outrun the grizzly bear, I just have to outrun you. (laughs) You know, I hope you don't have any friends like that, Uh, but there are friends indeed that are are not the best of friends. As we turn to the the subject of Proverbs today, what I want us to see is seven things. So if you're taking notes uh, in your Bible or on your notepad, uh, notice we'll see seven things from the book of Proverbs. There are several passages on friendship and how to be a good neighbor from the book of Proverbs. I've kind of whittled it down to what I consider to be the clearest or maybe the most significant seven things that Proverbs teaches us about friendships. And so we're just going to jump right in with Proverbs 
Proverbs 22. So if you're in your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs 22, verse 11, and we'll see the first thing that Proverbs teaches us about friends, and that's this. Friends are gained by two things. So friends are gained by pure motives and encouraging speech. And so how is it, the first issue that I think I want us to see from the book of Proverbs is, how is it that we gain friends? How is it that we attract friends to ourselves? Well, Proverbs 22 gives us a clear uh, answer to that question. And, and it, 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 the answer is twofold. Notice, it says this, The one who loves a pure heart... The one who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious, the king will be his friend. Now, what I don't think this means is if you have a pure heart and your, uh, your, your speech is gracious, that literally a king will be your friend, although that may be the implication here. It's a saying, it's saying even the king will want to be a friend with somebody whose heart is pure and whose speech is gracious, right? And so it's informing us on two things to attract friends to ourselves. Notice the first thing. It says, the one who loves a pure heart, the one who is pure-hearted, After doing a little study, I think that uh, shows up to mean pure in motive. And so think about it. If you want to be a friend with somebody, if somebody's going to be attracted to you, the first thing they need to know is that your motives are pure. That is, you're not out to use them. You're not out to hurt them. You're not out to sin against them. Your motives are not to use them, but to befriend them and to be a blessing to them. And so first of all, Proverbs teaches if you want people to be attracted to you, have pure motives towards them in a friendship. But not only do we need pure motives, notice the second thing. We need encouraging speech. It says, and whose speech is gracious. That is, I think uh, it is uplifting, it is pleasant, it is encouraging, it speaks truthfully. And so a couple things. The first thing we see is that friends are gained by pure motives and encouraging speech. And so you may find yourself today in a position where you feel like you would like more friends. It's helpful for us to evaluate how is it that people are being attracted to us? What kind of friends uh, am I attracting to myself? And we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first one is, what is my motive towards the friendship with person X or Y? Am I intending to use them for my gain? Am I using them maybe uh, just socially to be a part of their network because I want to move up in the, the social world? Or maybe you want to use them financially. You want to become friends with them so you can use their stuff. We have to ask ourselves, Are our motives pure in this friendship? And then secondly, we have to ask ourselves, are people encouraged by thy words that I I speak? Am I more negative? Am I more complaining than I am uplifting? Uh, Oftentimes, uh, we think about the words that we use, and if our words are gracious, Proverbs tells us that generally speaking, people will be attracted to us, but really nobody wants to be uh, very close with a person who is consistently negative or complaining or bitter or has kind of the half, uh, the glass half empty, so to speak. And so the first thing we see about friendships in the book of Proverbs is, well, how do we gain them? Well, a couple things, pure motives and pure speech. Moving on. Secondly, not only are friends gained in this way, but Proverbs gives us many instructions. In fact, there are two or three, if not more, verses that tell us that our friends, uh, not only about how we attract friends, but how we choose our friends. So people are attracted to us as friends, but we should choose wisely. And that's the second point. Friends should be chosen wisely. So turn with me now back to Proverbs 12. We're going to be skipping throughout Proverbs, so uh, be willing to turn a little bit. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says this. A righteous man is what, church? 
A righteous man is cautious. A righteous man is cautious in his friendships, but, by way of contrast, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I think what this verse is essentially saying is that we need to choose our friends wisely. And so if we have pure motives and gracious speech, there may be all sorts of people who are attracted to us, but that doesn't mean that we should become close friends with everybody because of the influence that friends have on our lives. I mean, think about it. Think about the friends that you have now and the great influence that they have on your behavior, on your thinking, on your actions, on your attitudes. They influence us greatly. And this is what this Proverbs is saying. A righteous person cautiously chooses his friend because the way of the wicked, that is the actions, the lifestyle of those who are wicked, if you choose to partake in those people, if they are your friends, those who are wicked, their actions will lead you astray. And so the second thing we need to, be see, need to learn about friends is not only how to attract them, but we need to be wise in choosing who our friends are. And so let me speak to you young folks. So you three guys who are stirring your cups right there. Let me talk to you three and the other young people in the audience. This is especially true and wise of you. And two of them are still like, you know, they don't even know I'm talking to them. But wise people, right? Young people, it's important that you choose your friends wisely. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been in youth ministry for eight years, I think, before I came here. And I can't tell you how many times I could pinpoint, okay, this is a person, this is a young, uh, young man, a young woman, she goes to my youth group, and I can notice who she is that she, she's hanging out with. And I can say, more likely, she's going to walk with God during her high school years or junior high years. And then I can look at that young man or that young woman, and I can say, the friends that you're choosing to, to spend your time with are, for the most part, the path of the wicked, and you most likely will not follow God during your young years. The most, in, in my humble opinion, the most significant thing for a young person, for you three young guys and anybody else out here who's young, the most important factor in determining whether you will pursue Christ at a young age, I think, is who you choose to be your friends with. I can tell you when I was in high school, I didn't have the luxury of having many friends who were Christians. I went to a very small school, much like Cisna Park. I think we were about double Cisna Park size, but still very small. And I became a Christian when I was uh, a junior, I think, at the summer between my sophomore before my junior year. And there were not many other Christians in my school. And I wasn't the wild child. You know, I was pretty good. But I can tell you, the friends that I developed during those years um, led me astray in numerous occasions, you know. Uh, I, and I won't go into great detail about how they did, but they, they did. And young people, they will do that for you as well. Now, by way of contrast, if you ask my wife about her high school experience, she'll tell you something very different. She grew up in a, in a, a, a large pretty large church with a significant youth group, and she, not only in her youth group, but I think even in her high school, there were strong Christians, and she hung out with those people, and it just really wasn't uh, an issue. She had good people that she hung out with. Young folks, they help you stay away from the path of ungodliness. Adults, the same is true of you. And so let me talk to you a little bit, adults, because yes, you have long-standing relationships, and, and that's a significant thing, but we need to consider the influence that our friends have on us. As, as adults, we need to choose our friends wisely, too. 
Men, are you choosing friends that maybe stay you to, uh, encourage you to stay out, uh, maybe to, to go to the bar or hang out at a friend's house after work instead of going home to your family? Ladies, maybe you have friends that encourage you to hold bitterness and anger and venom in your heart against the lady who said something about you that she shouldn't have. There's all sorts of ways that our friends influence us towards godliness and righteousness or ungodliness. And so the second thing we see is we attract people with motives and speech, but we need to be careful. We need to be wise in who we choose to be our friends. Point number three, Proverbs chapter 18. So turn back with me to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, 24, we see the third principle about friendship, and that is friends need not be many. Friends need not be many. And what I simply mean by that is that you don't need to have a lot of friends. You just need to have good friends. Proverbs 18, 24 says this, A man of many companions, so notice, lots of them, lots of companions, not friends. A man of many companions may come to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think what this text is saying is this. If a person has a lot of companions, but not very good friends, they may come to ruin in the day of trouble. In the day of trouble, when hardship comes upon you, and all you have is a large network of connections, but no yet, no significant, no deep friendships, Proverbs is teaching that if you have lots of companions, when trouble comes, you may come to ruin because nobody is going to be there for you. You don't have any real deep-rooted friendships. But by way of contrast, but there is a friend, one, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That is, when hardship comes, they will be there. And so um, I think uh, what one commentator by the name of Bruce Walk, he says, is right on target. He says this, the significance of friends is found in their quality, not their quantity, okay? The, French, the significance is found in their quality, not their quantity. Uh, I heard a, a story about, a true story, um, about a, a coach in the 1970s, which was even before I was born. But there was football, apparently, before I was born in the 1970s. And the UCLA head football coach, um, his name, let me get it right, was Pepper Rogers. And uh, he's uh, giving a, a, an interview, and there's a clip that I, I, I got. Anyways, in the interview, he came off the 1970 season as the UCLA Bruins head football coach, and they were abysmal. Uh, they were very poor. They were very bad. Now, we know what that's like here in Illinois, right? To have a football team that, that's very bad and to have a, a highly scrutinized coach. We know what that's like. I know what that's like at my alma mater. We just hired a new football coach. There's intense scrutiny and pressure on these guys. And, and so he was talking about uh, a season that just went awry. And, and he said uh, at one point, and I'll quote him, my dog was my only true friend. He said, my dog was my only true friend. And, though, and so he continues in the interview, and he says with a smile in the interview, I told my wife that every man needs at least two good friends. So she bought me another dog. <laughs> Even his wife was not his friend after that losing season. Uh, but you know what? If you've got one good friend, Proverbs says that, hey, f- friends need not be many. You need one good friend. And so uh, maybe you're in this boat. Maybe you're not an overly bubbly personality. Maybe you're not outgoing. Maybe you're not charismatic. Maybe you're a little more shy and reserved. And, and maybe your friendship count uh, is more on the one hand range as opposed to five, two hands and two feet kind of a range. Uh, this should be an encouragement to you because what Proverbs says is that it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. 
And so we've seen three, three things, how we gain friendships. We have to be wise in who we choose to be our friends. And we see that it's not about the number, it's about the quality. Moving on, I want to see a, a few other things. Point number four, what does Proverbs have to say about how good friends interact with one another, right? We've seen how to attract them. We've seen to choose wisely. We've seen we don't need a whole bunch of them, right? What does Proverbs then teach us about how good friends interact with one another? That is, how do you be a good friend, and how, uh, how does your friend be a good friend to you? Well, I want to share really uh, four more things, okay? So number four, friends are there in hard times. Proverbs 17, 17. So let's flip backwards a little bit. Proverbs 17, 17 shows us that friends are there through the thick and thin, through hard times in life. Verse 17 says, A friend loves at some of the time. Is that right? No. What does it say? A friend loves at what? All. A friend loves at all times. Times and a brother is born for adversity. That is what this simple text means is that true friends love you and are with you throughout good and bad, through the ups and the downs, through the hardships and the joys, through the lack of jobs and through the raises, through the times when the kids are just crazy and you're about to go nuts, and the times that you're so proud of them that you're going to burst with joy. They're there in the good and they're there in the bad. A friend loves at all times. And then notice this last statement. I really like it. And a brother is born. A brother is born for adversity. Here is parallel, a brother and a friend, right? And so friends and brothers, they're born for times of adversity. Think about how we use that statement. When we were to say, oh, let's just say... uh, I don't know, let's just say there's a, a crisis and, and, and a CEO rises and they redeem the company and, they, and they, they help the company and somebody might say, you were born for this time, right? They say, you were born for this. That's what the text is saying, that during a time of hardship, of adversity, that's what friends were made for, right? That's what this text is saying. Friends were made for hard, difficult times. Uh, again, I want to share a quick article from Parade Magazine. It tells a story of... Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson. Hopefully, we're all familiar with who Jackie Robinson is, the first uh, African-American professional baseball player. So think about all that he went through. And uh, the writer, uh, Willie Morris in Parade Magazine, said this. And I'll quote him. One example of friendship remains with me as vividly as the moment I first heard of it as a boy. In his first season with the Brooklyn Dodgers, Jackie Robinson, the first black man to play Major League Baseball, faced venom nearly everywhere he traveled. Fastballs at his head, spikings on the bases, brutal um, words from the opposing dugouts and from the crowds. During one game in Boston, the taunts and the racial slurs seemed to reach a fever pitch. In the midst of this, one of the Dodger players, a southerner named Pee Wee Reese, called a timeout, and so the game was interrupted. He walked from his position at shortstop towards Robinson at second base, put his arm around Robinson's shoulder, and stood there with him for what seemed a very long time. He concludes by saying, the gesture spoke more eloquently than the words, this is my friend. What a wonderful picture of a friend being there in the midst of adversity. And so I want to ask you a question. 
How have you experienced this? I mean, surely there have been t- hard times in all of our lives, and we all endure all sorts of different, uh, different difficulties, but think about the friends who are there, maybe in your hardest time. Think about their commitment to you. Think about how they were there with you. Think about how they acted. What a wonderful and joy and blessing that was, and I want to challenge you now to think about maybe you've received that kind of blessing in the midst of adversity, but maybe now you're in the opposite shoe, uh, the opposite position. Maybe you have a friend who is in adversity, and maybe you need to be the friend who loves at all times, and maybe you need to be the brother or sister who is born for adversity. And so I want us to think about our friends and what they're going through, and maybe we can be the one who is there for them in the hard times. So what makes a good friend? Well, first of all, they're there in hard times, in the good and the bad. But secondly, not only are they there, but Proverbs 27, 6 says that they tell the truth. That is, friends tell the truth even when it hurts. So not only are they there for you, they can speak hard things into your life. Proverbs 27, 6, as we flip back towards the end of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but, by contrast, an enemy multiplies kisses. This is a wonderful proverb. I love it. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So think about the contrast here. There, are, there is a wound that a real friend can give you. And I don't think that it's talking about a friend who's like, hi, Bob, how you doing? You know, that's not the kind of wound it's talking about. It's talking about, I think here, maybe an emotional wound. Um, There is a wound that a friend can give you. They may speak words to you that are difficult to hear. They will say things to correct you. They will bring up sin in your life. They will help you see things that you haven't seen before from a new perspective. And they they will say things to you and they will wound you. A friend will wound you. But Proverbs says that when a friend, a true friend, speaks those things into your life, you can trust it. That is, you can take it, you can receive it, you can grow from it, you can be rebuked from it. And so think about it. Real friends speak hard words, but their intention is to heal, right? Real friends speak hard words, but their intention is not to harm you, but to heal you. But your enemy, people in your life who consider... You might consider your enemies or maybe even friends, maybe even friends who really are your enemies. What do they do? They multiply kisses. Think about it. Enemies speak easy words. Enemies speak words that you want to hear sometimes. They speak things that are nice to hear and pleasant, but what is their intent? Their intent is to hurt you, right? They speak easy words, but their intent is to hurt you, where real friends speak hard words, and their intent is to help you. And so friends tell the truth, even when it hurts. You know, we're kind of going through this in my household, and my son Asher, who's just over three, um, uh, we're we're trying to teach him that sometimes when you say something, and it can be maybe in even a a harsh tone, or or, or kind of a rebuke, that it's, it it can be a loving thing, and so oftentimes, uh, you know, maybe uh, his little sister has a rock, and she's putting it in her mouth, and I'll say, sissy, no, 
you know. Piper, stop it. You know, we, we rebuke. Uh, and of course, our words might wound, right? And yet the intent is to preserve. And, and very often times he'll say, don't say that. It's not nice. <laughs> it's not nice for you to say that. And, and so we're trying to, to teach him. You know, sometimes you can say things to people and you can rebuke them. You can tell them no because it's for their good, right? And that's exactly what Proverbs is saying, that true friends do that. And so we have to ask the hard questions like, if a friend, a a true, a very good friend, were to wound you, would you consider them your friend or your enemy? If somebody speaks to you and they verbally wound you to correct you, to rebuke you, if they call out, maybe uh, you're slipping in your commitment to church and they, they call you out on that, will you receive them as a friend or an enemy? Maybe they call you out on an attitude that just was out of line. Will you receive them as a friend or an enemy? And conversely, will you be a friend that will tell a friend the truth even when it's hard? I think oftentimes we don't want our friendship to be hurt. We think if we call them out on something, if we say some, some words that will wound then our friendship will be dissolved. They won't like us. They won't call us. It'll hurt the relationship. But in that moment, we have to ask, what is best for our friend? And obviously, what is best for our friend is to speak the truth in love. And so maybe there's somebody in your life, maybe there's a good friend, and you're thinking about them right now. They, maybe they're in the midst of sin and they're unrepentant. Maybe they have an attitude that's habitual and they are just blind to it. They're unaware of it. It's not malicious. They just, they're unaware of it. Maybe you need to be the friend who wounds that can be trusted. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to put that relationship on the line to do what's best for your friend? Proverbs has shown us a couple things that friends, good friends, they're there in the good and the bad and they speak the truth even when it hurts. And then number six, they also guard against gossip. Going backwards to Proverbs 16, 28, we see that friends guard against gossip. As I looked in the Proverbs, I only found really two things. It's this one and the next point. Two things that Proverbs warns about that can dissolve friendships. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I think we all, to some degree, have had friendships that we were close with, and for whatever reason, we are not close with them anymore. Maybe there was a fight. Maybe there was a disagreement. Maybe there was just a distancing, but boy, friendships don't last forever. At least some of them don't, and they are fragile. They can be threatened, and Proverbs, in all of its wisdom, tells us a couple things that threaten friendships, and one of them is gossip. Notice Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and by way of parallel, and a gossip, parallel to a perverse man, and a gossip separates close friends. So what does a gossip do? What is the result of a gossip? They separate close friends. And so here's how I think it works. There is a gossip, and one, either you or your friend, is somehow related or connected to that person who is gossiping, that is they're telling things that are either lies or half-truths, right? They are gossips. And that person comes to you and says something to the effect of, you know, I hate to tell you this, Mary, but Jane the other day was speaking really bad against you, and she was talking about your husband, and she was talking about your kids, and on and on and on, right? You get the scenario, right? We've been there. And this person, this gossip, comes and tells you something about your friend. 
And at that point, you can either do one of two things. You can either uh, flat out believe the person, take their word for it, and get bitter and angry and just curse your friend and cut the relationship off, right? Or you can do the wise thing, which is going back to your friend and saying, so-and-so said this about me. Is this true? What happened, right? Maybe your kid comes to you and the ki- your, your, your son says, mommy, mommy, Billy said at church that little Susie said that her mommy said blah, blah, blah about you, right? Those kind of things. You get the point. And you can choose to investigate and find out from your friend, from the source of the matter, exactly what happened and what was said. Or you can allow a gossip to separate close friends. And so the first thing that we have to guard against is gossip. And then finally, the point number seven, the last thing that we see from the book of Proverbs about friendships, the second thing and the last thing that can separate friends is not only gossip, but what I would call an insensitivity to their preferences. So friends are sensitive to each other's preferences, and we see that finally in Proverbs 27, verse 14. And this can also be a relationship killer. Proverbs 27, 14 says this, If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Okay, so this is, this is kind of meant to be a humorous proverb, right? This is, if I could paint this scenario, this is, I think, what it's talking about. Let's say you have a good friend, and let's just say uh, they love you so much that they're overflowing with good words about you, and they want to pray for you and tell everyone how wonderful you are and let you know that they love you and you're so wonderful. And let's say that they uh, drive to your house and they start, uh, they have a megaphone and they stand right outside of your window and they turn on the megaphone and they say, Trey is a wonderful friend. Thank you, God, for Trey. And they start blasting this out right by your window, right by my window at 5 a.m. Now, am I going to take that as a blessing or am I going to take that as a curse? Well, I don't give up at 5, so I'm going to take that as a curse, right? Now, if you happen to be an early morning owl, just push back the hour, one, two, you know, midnight, whatever, right? This is meant to be humorous because what it's saying is that this person is insensitive to their friends or their neighbor's preferences to what they like, to what they don't like, right? This neighbor, as myself, um, he doesn't want a loud blessing early in the morning. And uh, if you happen to do the scenario that I, that I kind of painted, um, not only will they consider your words a curse, you might actually hear some cursing from them, right? Uh, so don't come outside of anybody's window that early in the morning. But the point is simply this. Friends are sensitive to their, each other's preferences, and they do what the other person prefers. And so part of being a good friend is finding out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy. And so, first of all, maybe uh, you're friends with somebody, and they don't like talking on the phone. They don't like answering text messages. They don't want to talk on the phone for hours and hours, but they're your friend. But you do. You enjoy a good three-hour phone conversation, right? And you keep calling them all the time, and you keep texting them. Now, they like you, and you like them, but their preference is not to be on the phone forever and ever, and yours is. And so that could very well ruin or at least hinder your relationship. Uh, Another one is maybe you have a friend, and you love to go shopping. That's what you want to do. That's how you enjoy hanging out. But you have a friend, and they would rather not shop. It's like pulling teeth for them, although most guys, that's (laughs) true of us. But there are some ladies who don't like to shop. Uh, and so continually calling them up and say, hey, let's hang out, let's go shopping, that's, that's not going to help your friendship, right? 
If you keep stop, uh, stopping in on uh, somebody unannounced, maybe they're a little more scheduled. They're a little more routine. They don't like people just knocking on the door at any time. They want to know, you're going to come by at 7, you're going to come by at 5, but you just keep knocking on their door because you want to see your friend, right? That could certainly hinder a relationship because you're not taking their preferences into account. One quick story, and then we'll wrap this sermon up. Uh, one of uh, a man that I consider to be a good friend of mine is uh, actually the pastor of the church down south, uh, Pastor Silas Montgomery. Uh, we've become good friends since his time here, and uh, you know, I appreciate his, his relationship. Um, one of the things that I, I've learned about him is that uh, ethnically he's Jewish and he likes to eat kosher. That is, you know, he, there are certain things that he eats and he doesn't eat, but one of the big no-nos is pork. And so Shelly and I decided, hey, let's, let's have him over for dinner one night, you know, let's grill. And uh, so we, we're going to grill, and Shelly said, what should we grill? And I said, let's do pork burgers, you know, because I love pork burgers. You guys here in Illinois just ruined me, you know? I didn't know what a pork burger was until I came to Illinois. I thought all hamburgers were ham burgers. <laughs> but apparently that's not true, and I love pork burgers now, so I thought, Let's get some pork burgers going. And Shelly said, oh, well, Silas. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Okay, right. So we went to the store, and we bought some hamburgers for him, and I was going to eat the pork burgers. And so I've got them out, and I'm, I got the grill already. It's, the flames are ready, and I'm about to throw the meat onto, you know, the, the, the grill. And I was just going to just put them all together, just like I normally would. And, and, and my wife wisely said, well, maybe you should grill them separately. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if, if they're supposed to touch and that kind of thing. And, and we, we don't know much about Jewish kosher. But she said, just to be safe, why don't you cook, you know, the hamburgers first and then cook the pork so that there's no crossover, right? And I said, that's a great idea. And so uh, we did that. And he was very appreciative of the fact that we took his preferences into consideration. And that's just, a, a, just an illustration of how friends are sensitive to each other's preferences. And so let's kind of wrap this up. What are the seven things that we learned? Seven principles on friendship that we've learned. Number one, friends are gained by pure motives and encouraging speech. And so how do, how do we attract people. We have pure motives. We want their best interest, and our speech should be gracious. Number two, uh, once we attract those people, we need to be wise. So friends should be chosen wisely. Choose the friends that lead you on the path towards the path of righteousness and not the path of the wicked. Number three, friends need not be many. So we attract people. We choose wisely, but we don't have to have 10, 20 friends. We can have one or two really good friends. It's about quality, not quantity. Number four, friends are there in hard times through the thick and through the thin. Number five, friends tell the truth. Remember, they wound you in a good way because you can trust the wound of a friend. Number six, friends guard against gossip. They protect themselves by finding out the truth of what is said. And then finally, number seven, friends are sensitive to preferences. And so if you want to be a good friend and if you want to have good friends, this is the wisdom that God has given us from the book of Proverbs on friendship. Uh, but I want to do this. I want to transition and I want to close this this morning by asking uh, you this. We've, lo- we've looked at friendships and we've looked at how to have good friendships. We've looked at how to be good friends. But while there's much in the book of Proverbs and there's much in the Bible about how to be good friends, I think there's one verse. And I would say it's the most important verse 
on friendship. So I'm going to ask you now, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the, your New Testament and turn with me to the Gospel of John. So get towards the end of your Bible and you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll find the Gospel of John. And turn with me to John chapter 15. This, I think, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is the most telling and the most significant verse on friendship in the Bible because it tells us what the epitome of friendship is. John 15, verse 13. John 15, verse 13. Jesus is speaking, and he says this in verse 13. 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Another translation says it this way. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus I think, gives what is the quintessential statement on friendship. And that is this. There is no greater love and there is no greater demonstration of friendship than if a man or a woman lays down his life, literally dies for his friend so that they, he or she, might live. That is the pinnacle of friendship. I love you and care for you so much that I would rather physically die and you stay alive That is the pinnacle of friendship. And so I want us to move from human friendships to friendships with God. My friends, this is the kind of friendship that Jesus Christ has demonstrated for us. Because when you read in the Gospels, what you find out is that Jesus indeed is a friend of sinners, so much so that he does exactly what he says. He says, there's no one who loves any better than if he dies so that somebody else can live. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what the Bible tells us that our great friend Jesus did for us because the Bible says that, one, we were created by God to know him, to love him, to worship him, to be in relationship, to him, the Bible says that humanity, through our great um, uh, grandfather Adam and our great grandmother Eve, messed it up, and that sin entered into the world, and from that point on, humanity has been separated from God. We can't be with God. God is holy. We're sinful, and so there's a problem. The Bible continues to describe that problem, and it says the wages of sin is death. That is what we get, our wage, what we earn For our sin, our transgressing the laws of a holy God is death. And that's not just physical death, that's spiritual death. We die physically and we die eternally. We're separated from God. And that is the consequence, that's the wage of our sin. And so that's not good. But the Bible says that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world, right? The Bible tells us that he loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to die for our sins, to pay the penalty that we deserved. You see, we were on death row physically and spiritually. We were on death row. And our friend Jesus comes and he says, I'll take your spot. I will take the injection. I will take the electric chair. I will take the cross for you. I will die physically for you and I will die spiritually for you, bearing God's wrath in your place so that he fulfills his own words. When he says, greater love has no one than this, he's talking about his love. His love is greater than anybody's love, that he lays down his life for his friends, and that's what he does for you and me and anybody who will accept him. He lays his life down for us so that we can be friends with him and that we can be reconciled with the Holy God, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and all sorts of wonderful good things like forgiveness of sins and reconciled relationship with him, and we can have new life and be born again 
And so I want to close this morning my sermon on friendships by asking, you may have a million great and wonderful friends here on this earth, but there's really one person that you need to be friends with, and that is a holy God. And you can only be friends with a holy God through the love of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you've not done that, if you've not personally accepted Jesus Christ, if you've not become reconciled with God and friends with Jesus through faith and what he's done, what he's done alone, not anything you could do to, to deserve that, then that's the friendship you need to have. And you can walk out of this place having a brand new friend, God himself. And so if you've not done that, we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to wrap up. I'll stand right here and I want you to come and talk to me about how you can become friends with God. Let's pray. Father, we're so very grateful that you have preserved uh, much wisdom in your word. Father, this area in our life that is all-encompassing, we all are touched by our friends. We all are touched by the relationships that we have. We're very grateful for all of the friends that you've given us, and we pray for more or less. We pray that you would help us to be wise. Father, we pray that we would attract the right kind of friends, but with our words and with our motives, and that we would be wise in choosing our friends. And Father, I pray that we would be a good friend. Father, I pray that we would be there for our friends in thick and thin. I pray that we would speak words to them that would wound them temporarily, but that would heal them ultimately. And I pray, Father, that we would guard our friendships against gossip. And I pray, Father, that we would be so sensitive to the preferences of our friends that it would just blossom into a loving uh, friendship. And, And Father, I pray finally for people who are hearing my voice And they know that they are not friends with God because they have not personally trusted in Jesus Christ who was a wonderful friend and he laid down his life for theirs. I pray that they would believe right now. They would come talk to me right now and that they would be born again and that they would become reconciled to God through faith in Christ. We ask this in the great name of Jesus, our God, our Savior, and our King. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to stand for our blessing. I'm going to read a blessing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So let's stand and we'll leave on this blessing. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through and may your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And God's people said, amen. See you next week.